0: How's everyone doing? You're surviving this Christmas. No. it's actually been a, a neat Christmas for for me. Uh, it's been nice. I have my wife's been home for a while, so that's been kind of nice. Yay! My my son came home today from Texas, so. It's nice. Actually, this will be the first Christmas in well, first time in two years that we've had all our children together. So that's special. Um, it's noisy, uh, but it's good. Uh, it's kind of a neat time to have that family together. Well, let's pray, and we're going to get into Matthew seven, conclude the Sermon on the Mount. Father, as we have spent the last couple of months. Going through this sermon, Lord, it has shaped and molded how we think. It has challenged us in ways that only you can. It is pushing us to a life of blessing. And Father, it is also pushing us to a life of dependency. For we cannot do these things unless you transform us. And so that's what we're asking here tonight, that you again would do the work that only your spirit can do. Father, may your word be illuminated to us and may your spirit make it alive. And may we leave here, Father, having spent time with you, getting to know you, and opening our hearts to what your desire is for us. We do ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, we we started this in October, I think, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's taken us a little bit longer to go through than it took Jesus to go through. Um, but again, there's so much in this first sermon, and without a doubt, I believe this is the greatest sermon that's ever been shared and, and taught or preached. There, Michael, I used the word just for you. Preached uh so that... There is reason to spend so much time in this sermon, and as he's concluding it here, we're going to be challenged once again. You know, as we're coming to the conclusion of this, remember, it it started very tenderly. As Jesus is speaking to this multitude of people who are uneducated, most of them are illiterate, uh, impoverished, those who are not uh, the religious elite, those who have been marginalized, um... Jesus starts off saying, congratulations, right where you are, the kingdom of heaven is yours. In this poverty of spirit, in this mourning, in this hungering and thirsting for what is right, God is right there. And he starts off just very tender, but he does get pretty tough. And it's an an interesting translation or transition because you almost wonder, when did this change? You know, have you ever talked to someone and they're complimenting you? And then the next thing you know, they're criticizing you and you feel like you should still thank them? Because, you know, it's like, oh, thank you. Um, I think, you know, it's almost that sense where Jesus starts off so tenderly and then he gets pretty tough. But we find out that the whole time he is pushing us to the blessing of God that started off, and that foundation of blessing, and that's what he is pushing us towards. And we need to remember that, otherwise we can pull things out of skew, as we've talked about, even as we went through talking about divorce, and a lot of different things, where people can pull one passage out, and hammer it, and forget the context that Jesus is trying to minister to us in. And so he starts telling us again, just more about how we can get to this place of blessing. He he tells them that they are the salt of the earth. He tells them and he brings them a righteousness that is greater than the law. He speaks about that hard righteousness of his kingdom. He's bringing us to that level of what it is like to live in this kingdom that he is establishing. And it's past behavior past just doing the right things or not doing the wrong, wrong things. It's not just about, well, don't commit murder or don't commit adultery. It has to do with motives, intention. It has to do with the heart. And so he pushes us deeper into this area of holiness, trying to get us to see the kingdom way of living, to love our enemies to be people who pray and recognize our Father in heaven, to have a treasure in heaven, to have a faith that keeps us from worrying Last week we talked about how we are to seek, and everyone who seeks finds, everyone who asks has it answered, and everyone who knocks has it open to them. And as he's dealing with these things, now he comes to the place in verse 13, to the end of the sermon, where he gives us three warnings. And what this is, is the application to all the things that he's been talking about. He's calling us to respond to what he has just said. He's bringing a conclusion, but the conclusion isn't there. Wasn't that just great? It's now, so what are you going to do with what I've given you? How are you going to take these words and live them out? And starting in verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So the first thing he warns us and he calls us to respond to is, how do we enter into this life? How do we enter into this kingdom? And Jesus has led them all the way to this gate, and now he wants to help us to get through. And the whole sermon has pointed us to how different and how difficult this kingdom life is. So it's not just don't murder. It's, you can't even have anger in your heart towards someone. It's not just don't commit adultery. It's don't lust after a woman. This is difficult things. He's calling us to a holiness that is at the core of who we are. And so he continues this idea. How are we going to, or what are we going to do with this kind of holiness? What are we going to do with this requirement? And he's telling us it's narrow. It's very narrow. And you see, the gate is the sermon, and the sermon is the life of Jesus. John 10 tells us, Jesus says that he is the gate. But this sermon itself is the life of Jesus. This sermon he's giving to us and he's disclosing to us is how this gate looks. It's what we do. We have to enter into this gate in the life that he has just described. And again, it's one that challenges us and says, who can live like this? Who can love their enemies? Who cannot worry, take thought about what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear? Who can do these things? Who cannot be angry with someone who, who treats them ill? Who can do these things? This gate is very, very narrow. It's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to who he is. This is the path of life, to eternal life, to the life that will not self-destruct. This is the only life there is, and it is given by Jesus. Now, right when you come to the place of, I cannot live like this, he's actually taking you for, to the very beginning of his sermon when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's bringing us to a place of bankruptcy. He's bringing us to a place where he says, who can enter into heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a person of wealth to enter in the kingdom of heaven. Who can do this with man? It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. If you find yourself in a place where I can't do this, I cannot live this way, then Jesus says, congratulations. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Because that minute you say, I can't do that, you are surrendering and saying, I need you. And guess what? Jesus is come for those who need him. He is come for the unrighteous. He has come for the sick. He's come for us. And so he brings us to the gate that is so narrow, so few can make it, and no one can make it apart from Jesus himself. And so we see that this gate is more than just, quote, accepting Jesus. It's living this kingdom life. It's going to require transformation, It's not just, I go to church, therefore I get in the gate. It's a matter of, I need Jesus, I'm dependent on Jesus, I am looking to the life that Jesus gives, that he's talked about throughout these few chapters. That is the gate itself, living that life, that kingdom life. That's what it is. And so it's not just, if you're a Christian, you get to go through the gate. Well, defined, a Christian like Christ, yes. But not just because you go to a church, you said a prayer. It's a matter of living this life that He has called us to live. A life of surrender, a life of bankruptcy, a life of mercy, a life of hungering and thirsting, a life of dependency, a life of holiness to the core of who we are. A life that is beyond our ability to live without the help of God who gives us the help. But you go there. And it's yours. And Jesus is pushing us to this gate. And he's saying, now, this is how you have to live. This is the path that you have to walk. This is the life, the eternal life. Now, we have a problem with this, or at least usually we do, because this seems so exclusive. I mean, Sunday, we just talked about how inclusive God was, how he reached out to the Magi and brought those people who were astrologers and idolaters to be the first disciples. And here, it seems so exclusive, and so how is it? I mean, it's only a bad thing, this exclusivity, if it's not true. In other words, it only is harsh if it's not true. Let's say it another way. There's destruction. And it doesn't matter if people are going there, just let them. Is that a good thing? No. You don't do that with people you care about. Hey, the road's, you know, the bridge is out. Have you guys ever seen that commercial where the bridge is out and the beaver knocks the tree down and gives him the thumbs up? Hey, man, I'm on your side. It's like, oh, man, the beaver was cool. He, he saved the guy's life by stopping him from going the wrong direction. You see, all of a sudden it becomes a good thing if it's keeping someone from the wrong thing. So being exclusive is not bad if it's for the right thing. And so it's a matter of if it's true. And we've talked about this to some extent that, you know, Christ is the only one who has come for us. There is no other religion where God has come and made the way. All other belief systems, religious systems require us to to do good enough to get to God. Only Christianity is God coming and reaching for us. He's the only God who's come for you. No one else is coming, only Jesus. And so it is exclusive in in that sense. And it's okay because he is helping us. He is, again, pushing us towards life. And so in that sense, it's a good thing. But the reason this becomes so contentious is that when people fail to live this kingdom life that Jesus has been talking about, see, Jesus didn't, didn't say, okay, I've, I've saved you. I've redeemed you so that you can now act like pietist jerks. He didn't do that. You see, if we were to live this kingdom life, if we were to remember all the things he said, if we were to actually not be judgmental, remember that was part of one of the things he said, don't judge, for in the way you judge, you're going to be judged. If we were merciful, if we loved our enemies, if we lived this life, then it wouldn't be a problem it would actually be a magnet. People would want to hear more about this. This is so exclusive, but it's so good. It's so filled with mercy. It's so lacking judgment. It is so humble. It is so compassionate. And because we fail to live this kingdom life When we say things like, this is the only way, people are like, yeah, I don't think I want to be a part of that way. But if we actually lived the life that Jesus lived, then it would do the same thing that it did in Jesus' ministry. It would draw people to himself. Just by how he lived, by how he loved, by how he cared, it would do the same thing people who love their enemies, who don't judge, who show mercy. This isn't a stand for arrogance. It's a call to live out the sermon that Jesus has just preached. And so this is the first warning he gives us, is how we enter. And it's a narrow gate. There's only this way. All the other ways that people are talking about this kind of being open and having this kind of universalism, It's not the truth. It's very narrow. It's very exclusive in that regard, and it's dependent on what Jesus has done. And it's important to recognize that. The the second warning he gives us is who we follow and the false prophets that he talks about in verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. you will recognize them. And so Jesus now gives us another warning about who we will follow, and he tells us to be careful of false prophets. Now, people are going to look good. Martin Luther wrote about false prophets or wolves. He says, wolves use holy words. The idea here of wolves is different than a goat trying to act like a sheep, the hypocrites that Jesus talks about throughout his ministry. This is different. These are enemies. A wolf is an enemy of the sheep. The wolf is out to destroy, cause harm to the sheep. This is just different than hypocrisy. The picture is to be careful who you follow and to test who you follow. And he gives us a couple of tests. One is a doctrinal test. What they believe. Are they trying to widen the gate? Are they trying to make the gate, gate wider? You know what? Really what we want is a benevolent grandfather in heaven. That's what C.S. Lewis called it. We don't want a father in heaven who's going to be there to discipline us and to give us guidelines. We want a, a grandfather in heaven who will slip us candy and give us money for nothing. You know, dad makes you do the yard work and he's he, trying to teach you something. The grandfather in heaven is the one who just, ah, it's okay, here, take this. I'm going to give it to you. Why? Because it's my job to spoil you. And that's what we want. Well, let's just widen the gate. It really doesn't matter what you believe. God loves you. God loves everybody. And so that's not important. They're widening the gate. They're changing the message. They're they, they are steering you in a place that's going to lead to destruction. And, and so those are people you have to watch out for. Those are people who are, are not producing the right fruit. Their lives aren't producing that that's going to be good. They are saying there is no gate. And this is becoming prevalent. It always has in Christianity, a kind of universalism. And it's a liberal way of thinking, and they're just diluting the truth of the message of who Jesus is and what he's done. They're they're twisting it saying all roads lead to the top of the mountain. Jesus is a nice guy who lets everyone in. Does that sound like Jesus? No, Jesus has called you to crucify yourself so that he can bring you back to life. Does that sound like a nice guy? That's kind of harsh. He's calling us to a harsh Living, these are hard truths. This is a rough discipleship that he's talking about. Those early disciples were, were rugged people, were committed people. They weren't just like, well, if you want to follow me today, you can. If you don't want to it tomorrow, it's okay. No, he says, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. Whoever takes his hand, puts it on the plow and looks back, isn't worthy of me. Whoever loves father, mother, sister, brother more than me is not worthy of me. It's a rough discipleship. It's calling us to hard things. And those who say, oh, no, Jesus is just a nice guy. He'll let everyone in. They're widening the gate. They're false prophets. They're, they're not attesting to the truth. And the second test is the life test, a life that lives out this sermon, a test of transformation, even as James talks about, a faith that shows up. Because if you say things but you do nothing, what good is what you say? Your words have become empty, powerless. And so there's a lot of people who use holy words but don't live holy lives. And we hear about this on TV every now and then, Diane Sawyer or someone will, you know, uncover one of these people who are sca- scandaling, you know, the church and over here, ripping people off, they're having an affair over here, they're doing something, and it becomes just known, and all of a sudden you see that this guy was saying this, but he's living like this. And Jesus is saying, can't do them both. You'll be able to tell by what their lives produce. A good tree brings forth good fruit. A bad tree, bad fruit. And it's interesting because Jesus here isn't saying so much it's about what they believe. He's saying it's about what their lives produce. Now, this is coming right after he said there is a narrow gate. So we have to go through that narrow gate, and then what does that life produce? Because if it produces good fruit, it's good. The life is good. Well, you know, I don't know what they believe about the doctrine of such and such, you know, and I don't know if they have the whole, you know, eschatology down. I think they're a little off. Are their lives producing good fruit? then it's a good tree. We get so caught up on incidentals. We can just mess things up. Jesus says, you'll be able to tell them by how their lives are lived out, the fruit that they produce. And so this is how we can see this, and this is how we judge how we can tell if it's a false prophet or not. And notice that the whole sermon that Jesus has talked about has been connected and involved relationships. It's about how we deal with other people. If we're angry, if we forgive our enemies, if we're judging. He's talking about this relational aspect and so one of the the things that is very much necessary for us to understand and is becoming i think problematic today more than in the past is there's this idea you don't need other people you can just go up into the mountains find a stream and you and god can just have your little thing and I love you, God. And yes, and I'm going to read the scriptures and I'm going to get my podcasts. And oh, I like this one. I'll go over it and I'll listen. Oh, I'm going to listen to this one now. And we've pulled ourselves away from community and said that this is enough. I don't really need to be a part of a community of people. I, it's just me and God. And I have plenty of Bible studies I can listen to. I can grow. And I really don't need to be attached to this, what we call church, again, you're, you're steering people in the wrong direction. You're being deceived if you think that's the case, because this is all about our interaction with one another. It's been about that. Jesus is about that. And so again, how do you produce good fruit if you're separated? Oh, I, well, every now and then I give money to this. I do this. Well, it's not just about giving money. It's about interaction, your life producing something with other people. And I think it's important for us to recognize that this is a part of bearing fruit. He gives a little bit, another group about these false people, and these are false disciples in verse 21. He says, now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Again, notice the relational aspect. I never knew you. Now, This group of people does amazing things. They have spectacular-looking fruit, it would seem. I mean, look at this list of things. You know, Lord, on that day, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons. We performed miracles. That's a pretty good list of things. Anyone here perform a miracle lately or cast out a demon? Prophesied something it, this is pretty spectacular, and, and what I think happens is is if we resist this one false prophets and these people who are kind of very liberal and wanting to to open up the gate, perhaps, you can fall into this other category where it's really um, a very spectacular one, one that's really about the image those who are about the spectacular. They want to to justify who they are by the spectacular things they do. And this kind of falls in line with the Pharisees and going on the street corner and saying, yes, look at all that I did. And Jesus said to, remember, do it in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, these people want to let everyone know what they've done. I've done all these things, but... What is Jesus looking for? Is he looking for miracles? Would Jesus maybe say, you know what, you need to cast out, instead of going out trying to cast out demons, maybe you need to cast the anger out of your life. Maybe you need to get rid of that. Taking us back into his sermon. You know, instead of the amazing things that you do, Maybe you need to develop a, a, a sexual purity. Maybe have a relationship with your wife that is uh, marital faithfulness, one that is solid, one that is good. Maybe you should develop that instead of worrying about the miracles that you do. He, he's more concerned with what's going on in our hearts than in the large arena of public perception. And these people were all about the perception But again, he didn't know them. There was no communion. There was no koinonia. There was no fellowship taking place. This was all about the external and neglect of the internal. And again, these are traps that I think we can fall into if we don't recognize them. And so the warnings, the gate's narrow. It's impossible to get through without me. And there are going to be people who tell you you can get through there all these other ways. And they're going to destroy you. They're out to destroy you. They're wolves. And there are some people who are going to think they're all about me. And they're going to do all these things. But they don't have the relationship with me that I've been talking about. It's all about the externals. And I never knew them. I didn't have that connection with them. It's important that we would not just be about doing things, but be about knowing the great God who's able to do great things. And it's interesting because he says they are evil doers. I never knew you away from me, evil doers. That struck me. What, what's so evil about them? I mean, come on, they're prophesying, they're casting out demons, they're doing miracles and they're evil doers? The core of who they are is self. The core of who they are is not about God, but it's about themselves. And again, it takes us back to the beginning of Jesus' sermon. The ones who are blessed are the ones who are poor in spirit. The ones who are blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The ones who are blessed... Are the ones who are living this dependent life on God? These people, they got it all together. They come into the room and they own the place. They 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 are as holy as it comes and they let you know all the great things that they do. But the core of what's going on is about themselves, and I think that's striking out what Jesus is saying, you evildoers. Why? Because you're doing this for who? What's this really about? It's not about me. And when I hear these things, I don't know about you, but it's a little scary. It's a little bit like, am I doing any of those things? Or do I know people who are like that? It makes me sit up and take notice. And I think it's supposed to. I think it's supposed to be a little bit stunning, wow, if these people did these things and they're called evildoers because they didn't know you, how do I know you? Well, that's what he's been talking about. The whole sermon has been this understanding, this is how you know God is by living in this life that he has called you to live by walking as I am walking. Remember, it's all about Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. The sermon that he's just preached is his life. And that's what we are to mimic. And so we can very easily become too liberal or become too holy in ourselves, too self-righteous. And Jesus is warning us about those things. And then he gives us a third and final warning of what we're going to do with the things that we've just heard. Notice he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine what words? The words he just spoke, this sermon. Everyone who hears this sermon and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When the people had finished, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he had taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Jesus Final warning is to not just hear these things, but to put them in the practice. Now, he's not contrasting believers and non-believers. That's not what he's saying here. And I know I've heard that. I've even taught that. I believe in this passage. Again, this it, it kind of it's difficult when we take months to go through what took minutes for Jesus to go through to realize that he's not distinguishing this as, you know, these are the people who believe and these are the people who don't believe. When he says, ask and you will receive, he's not talking, well, that's only for people who believe in me. He's challenging people to come to God, challenging people to seek God. When he says, blessed are, he's asking people, is this you? Is this your condition? If it is, you fit into this category. It's not like you have to be this category and then this applies to you. You understand what I'm saying? Because so many times I've heard people say, well, God doesn't answer sinners. Because there's a, there's a psalm that says, you know, if I, if I have iniquity within my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Well, yeah, it, it causes a separation, but it doesn't mean if you're not a follower of Christ, you can't pray and God doesn't hear you. Jesus said different. Jesus is anyone who asks. God's there. Solomon built the temple so that the non-believer would come, ask of God, and receive and answer their prayers. The point here is to show us that there is the need to come to a place of dependency on Christ, which would be becoming, quote, a Christian. But then there is a need to living the life that Jesus has called us to live. I know people who have Belief in Jesus who build their lives on sand. Do you? I've counseled people who have built their life on sand, who who think that because they've come to faith in Christ that there are supposed to be no storms. And Jesus said, even the one who builds their life on the rock, when the storms come, the storms are going to come. They don't. Oh, you built your life on the rock. You're on the cliffs now. You're above the rain. It's all sunshine and rainbows. And, you know, for you, it's just not the case. But there are people who have had this false conception that now that I'm a follower of Jesus, now that I believe in Jesus, these things shouldn't be a part of my life. And there are people who say, well, I believe in Jesus, who are still very judgmental. There are people who believe in Jesus who are people who worry like crazy about all the things Jesus said not to worry about. There are people who are so caught up in all the things that Jesus is trying to lift us out of that when the storms come, it devastates them. An illness comes. They find out they have cancer. Someone they love has cancer. They lose their job. There's there some kind of tragedy that happens, and it happens in life, and they don't know how to deal with it because they're not living in the kingdom. They're still living on this earth. They have not taken the teachings of Jesus and lived their life accordingly. Accordingly. Because what Jesus is calling us to do here is to live a life that is like his, that is connected to God, that is motivated by God, that is anchored in God. And when our lives are built on him, then... These other things, what we eat, what we're going to wear, the people who have wronged us, who are our enemies, the questions we have that we seek, the doors that we're knocking on, all those things aren't going to move us because we understand and have faith in God. And I believe that's the challenge that Jesus is now giving us here. He's wanting us to know, what are you going to do about this? I've taught you on all these things. I've taught you where to put your treasure, to put it in heaven, where rust doesn't come in and, and vermin and, and moths and thieves. I, I've taught you how to pray, my Father, in heaven Forgive me my, my debts as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. Lead me not in temptation, but deliver me from evil. I've taught you not to worry. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil. They don't spin. But Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like them or the birds who don't sow. And I take care of them. Don't judge others. Ask me, seek me, knock, I'll answer. All these things, if we were to live our lives like this, when the rains come, the storms of life, we're not going to be moved. Because we will have that assurance, we will have that relationship with the living God. When you have that relationship, then you have everything. When husband and wife are doing well, their relationship is healthy, there's security. There's not the worry of unfaithfulness. Why? Because we have a relationship that's good. Most of the people that I've known who have been a part of a marriage where there was unfaithfulness Something was going on, and they said, you know what? Something's wrong. We're not talking. We're bitter. We're angry. We're becoming distant. There's The problem begins with the relationship and then the other circumstances. And the same thing's true in our life, in our relationship with God. It begins with whether we know him or not, whether we are living close to him or not, And when that's there, things are good. You lose your job, God's going to take care of us. You have assurance that God's still with you. But when that's not really there, and some calamity happens, you're scrambling. I don't know what I should do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, what did Jesus say? to do. He, he told you to pray, right? He told you to trust, right? He told you not to worry, right? I know, but what about this? And you see, I, I, I can't help you. If that relationship isn't there, all I can do is try and get you back to the relationship. Because that's what this is about, whether you know him or not. And whether you trust what he says or not. And whether you're living according to what he says or not. And all these things force us to a place of dependency. Force us to a place where we can't get through that gate without his help. Force us back to the very beginning where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The storms will come, but if we're building our life on what will last, then we don't have to worry. If we build our lives on what is stable, then our lives will be stable in spite of what changes. And he's calling us to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Remember he spoke about those things? How can I be the light of the world if I do not have faith in times of trouble? How can I be the salt of this earth whenever a storm comes and I just fall to pieces? What kind of example am I if I don't have a belief in God that is secure through times of difficulty? And so those who hear Jesus' words and live them, he's going to hold them. He's going to keep them secure. And even though the storm comes, your life will not fall apart. And it's not based on our circumstances, it's based on our relationship with the living God who will care for us. And this is what faith is. Faith is a scary thing, but without it we cannot please God. And Jesus is calling us to a dependency on God like we've never experienced before. And he's challenging us, and he's saying, this is how I want you to live. And you keep settling for less. Remember, I will help you to be perfect, but I won't help you to be anything less. And so God is always pushing us towards this place of blessing, towards this place where we can see and understand and experience the relationship that we should have with God. And when he was finished, people were amazed No one's ever taught like this before. And no one has ever taught like that since. The words of Jesus are difficult and true. They are revealing. They are hard. And yet they are tender and compassionate. He's telling us the truth, and the truth is difficult for us to understand. But he doesn't leave us and abandon us. He is here to bring us to himself. And that's what makes it so beautiful. Let's pray. Father, these words that you have given us, they are there for our benefit. They are there to bring us warning, caution. Lord, you have put these things here to challenge us, that we would test and make sure, Father, the things that we believe in, that we would be able to judge accurately, Father, the the things and the people that we follow, the beliefs that we have, Lord, that we would not go astray and and give in to this uh, God who doesn't care how we live, doesn't care what we do, Really, it's a God that is no no God at all. Lord, you've given us these things to point us to that narrow gate. And again, Lord, the, the gate is all these things that you've taught. And Lord, what you have taught is your very life, Jesus. And so you've challenged us to live like you live. And the thought of that brings us very much to the very beginning of your sermon, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. God, to live like you, I can't do it. Not unless you help. But that's exactly why you came. You came to give us a life and a life that is full. You've came to transform us and to change us. You came that we might be crucified and live anew and live anew in you. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to to remain in this place of hunger and thirst, to remain in this place of seeking after you, to remain in this place of recognizing what you desire us to be. And to be that, we need to be dependent on you. And so give us that dependency, Father, and that urgency to recognize that this is who we are. And we cannot stray, we cannot wander, we cannot try and make the gate bigger. We need to come to you. And so we, we see that, we want to live lives that aren't moved by the situations around us. And God, we are so prone to do that. We are so prone to give in to our emotions, to our circumstances, instead of be moved by you only. Help us, Lord. Thank you again for these words and pray you'd bless them to our souls in Jesus name. Amen.